You're not going to hear this out of me very often, but I want to encourage you not to read a passage of Scripture. Um, if you're someone who struggles with being underappreciated or unthanked, do not read the first part of Luke chapter 17. Moms, you know how it goes, right? Cleaning up, cleaning up, cleaning up, doing this, doing this, doing this, running everyone around all over the place. And then all you want, just once, just someone say thanks. Dads, you work your whole life, especially those of us who get older, you work your whole life trying to provide for your family and do this. And you, ah, I want this, but no, I better not because they need this. I better not because they need this. I better not. Then you finally do something for yourself and someone goes, ah. If you're feeling that way ever, don't read the first part of Luke 17 because Jesus will poke you. He gives a straight, tells a story about, he goes, if, if you've got a, a servant and you send them out to tend to the sheep and they come back, you don't go, oh, welcome back. Thanks for the good job that you did. Now sit down, let me serve you. No. You tell him, he comes in, you say, you know, look, you get to eat in a minute, but serve me, I'll eat and drink. And then after that, you can clean up and you can eat and drink. He goes, you don't, you don't get, you don't, you shouldn't expect thanks for doing your duty. Now, I don't, I don't like that because I like to look at, you know, with the staff when they do something, you know, I like to find people, catch, catch people doing stuff right, and tattle on them. It's a good thing, right? To, to be gracious and to be thankful. But if you're looking, if you were ever in the military, and I was not, but your sergeant isn't going to come up to you and go, oh, you did such a good job scrubbing the little tile, little grout area with your toothbrush. I'm so proud of you. It doesn't work that way. You get an order, you do it. There's something about our need for God to acknowledge the things we do when they're the things we should be doing just out of gratitude. Not to receive gratitude, but to offer it. Um, the beginning of that passage, he says, you know, there's going to be sin in the world. But if you cause someone else to sin, it's going to get ugly. You guys, that's not good. Now, if your brother sins against you, comes back to you seven times, you forgive and repent, you, you, you forgive him seven times. So you, but if, this is where he says, it, if you cause a little one to stumble, to sin, it's better to have a millstone tied around your neck and you thrown into the sea than to have to face God. So he's in the middle of this segment, this large, in fact, it's probably most of the gospel according to Luke, is confrontational, sometimes combative, often exhort, exhorting what he's, he's challenging and correcting. Um, he's saying things that are somewhat encouraging, but then he spins it on you. Like Pastor Chris, when he preached last week about the prodigal son, everyone loves that story. But we, when we recognize that, and I don't remember who he quoted, but that that is probably the parable that got Jesus killed because he was saying to the, their whole worldview, their whole understanding, the whole way, their traditions, how they live, how they raise kids, what they're supposed to do. He, Jesus saying, how you've always done it is upside down and broken. It's so wrong that they had to get incensed. They had to be frustrated. So there's this whole segment of the gospel according to Luke. It starts off with miracles and deliverances, and healings, and walking on water, and feeding thousands, and, and encouraging words, and blessed are the peacemakers, and just this wonderful stuff. And then it's, but I say to you, but I say to you, but I say to you, and there's just this time of, of correction, and, and, and people are plotting to kill him. Now, if you're a reader 
of Luke in the first century and you get this scroll that's been passed around from village to village and you come to quote unquote church and you hear this read, this, this person that God has chosen as one of his followers, one of the fathers of the faith and he's penned something in his own hand and you, maybe you've heard about Jesus and you have the idea that maybe he was God's son, but you're here, you're coming and you're hearing for the very first time, the first proclamation of the gospel you hear this and you hear these encouraging words and you hear these miraculous signs and you hear these healings and oh, and then you get to this segment of Luke where it's corrective and combative and frustrating and kind of harsh. You've got to be wondering because you stop hearing about really any miracles. You hear parables, but not miracles. You got to be wondering if when there's opposition to God's plan, can miraculous things take place? And that's where this miracle shows up. I don't think Luke accidentally put it here. I think it happened like this. But there's this thing that we, sometimes we think God can't move because too much is against God. And look at what happens. It says here, now on his way to Jerusalem. Now remember, Jesus is heading up. He set his face. He set his countenance. He set his, his will and his heart toward Jerusalem where he's going to be murdered for you. Now he was on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus traveling along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men with lepro- who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, I didn't grow up in the church. Most of my biblical knowledge, if any, uh, until my early 20s came from an organization known as Young Life. And Young Life is really good at proclaiming the gospel to disinterested high school, now middle school, and, and college age students. Um, but they heavy on the gospels. I mean, really spent a lot of time in the gospels. And I, I fell in love with the gospels as a result. But one thing I learned when I got into seminary, and even in, in, when I was a youth pastor in my former charge, um, often pastors would stand up and they would assume that I knew what they were talking about. Um, I used to have a, there's a friend of mine that used to preach. He goes, you know, Dostoevsky, you remember when Dostoevsky said, like, who? So you probably know this, but if there's one person in the room that doesn't understand what's going on with this, the whole um, leprosy thing, just let me tell you. Uh, leprosy, modern day leprosy is known as Hansen's disease. Hansen's disease is a strange disease. It's an infectious disease. It's a parasite, if I remember right. But what it does is it starts to... Um, it starts to kill off your nerve endings. So you, we, none of us love pain, but the beauty of pain is it tells you something's wrong. When you lose the ability to know that something's wrong due to pain, bad stuff happens. So your nerve endings start to die on the tips of your fingers, on the tips of your nose, on the top of your ears, on the, your earlobes, on your elbows and your knees and, and the tips of, you know. Um, and what'll happen is you'll get an injury or you'll get a hangnail and it'll get infected, but you don't know. And so bits and pieces of your body start to die off, necrosis, and it'll die off. And there's a story of a missionary, uh, this is 30, 40 years ago. Uh, he was either in Haiti or Dominican Republic, but um, he, they were trying to get, there. it was a leper colony, and they were trying to get this shed open, and there's this old rusty padlock. And these two grown men, like my size, went up there, and they could not get that lock to turn, and a 10-year-old boy walks up, and he goes, pop, breaks that thing right open with the, with the key. Cut him to the bone, and he got infected. And that part of his finger died and fell off. Disgusting, horrific disease. 
But that's what leprosy does. And it was so scary to the people of that age that God set up a way to protect everyone else from those infections. Here's how it went. You can look this up. And it's either Leviticus 13 or 30. I believe it's 13. Um, Really, really exciting reading Leviticus. But if, you, if I were walking down the road or I'm with my family or my son and I, and I look down and I go, huh, there's this white blemish on my hand. My job, my duty is to go to the priest and to show the priest that blemish. And if he determines that it's not just a scratch or it's not just a birthmark or something like that, but it might be infectious, he's going to put me in my tent or in my hut alone for seven days. Now alone, there's no Nintendo switches. Is it Nintendo switch? I don't play video games, um, so I shouldn't use this as an example. Uh, no iPads, no texting, no data. You know, you're, there's, no, there's no TV, there's nothing. You're just alone in your tent. And they would, the priest would come and they would, they would put food out in front and they would back off and they would yell to you and then you were allowed to come out because you don't want to infect anybody else. And after seven days, you show yourself to the priest again. The priest will examine it. If you're all clear, all good. But if not, you're back in there for another seven days, all alone, seven days. That's 14 days of no contact with your family, no contact with your job, no contact with, with, with anything except for food and the voice of a priest outside your tent. And after 14 days, if you don't, if that's not gone, you're done. You don't go home. You don't, you don't, you know, you don't pass go. You don't collect $200. You don't, you don't go home and get your stuff. What you have on, you're kicked out. You're banished. Never to have contact with any of your community ever again, ever. In fact, the law was that, that if you did come, if you're walking along and some other people walk along, let's say here to the back of the sanctuary and, and you you see another person, your duty, your God-given responsibility is to stop where you are, yell out, unclean, and wait for them to pass until they're out of sight, and then you can go on your way. If you don't, their job is to throw rocks at you until you're dead. So we've seen some desperate lepers in the Gospels. In the Gospel according to Mark, the first miracle Jesus performs is a leper who has the guts to show up and fall at Jesus' feet. Say, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reaches out and touches him, which is not what you do. You, if you can heal him, you heal him and then you give him a hug. But he touched him first. He loved him like he was. And then he said, I'm willing, be clean. And then he was healed. That's a de- what Jesus should have done in most people's eyes, if you go with the worldview of the time, is to hit him over the head with a rock until he's dead. That's how desperate lepers are. So 10 lepers from afar, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. I'll come back to that in a minute. Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Were the other nine, or, 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 were there not all, where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Samaritans, again, one of those you probably already know. But Samaritans were considered by the Jews to be the worst of the worst. Worse than Gentiles, who they called scavenger jackal dogs. That's not a good thing to call someone, a dog. 
Samaritans were worse. They were spiritually insensitive. They could not hear from God in the, in the minds of a Jew. They worshiped in the wrong place. They worshiped the right God, but in all the wrong ways. And, and their words, how they described them, they were half-breeds. They weren't truly Jew. They weren't truly Gentile. They were some conglomeration and in a culture where everything came from your bloodline and the purity of that, and you could trace yourself back. Something was wrong. Now, Thank God we don't look at the world now with people that have different, different ethnicities within them and, and, and judge them and see them as terrible. I'm just trying to tell you how the Jewish people saw the Samaritans. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan when Jesus tells the story of a priest who comes along and finds a guy that's been beat up on the side of the road and he can't be bothered because he's got too many important religious things to do. And then the Levite, a priest's servant, comes along. He can't be bothered, but someone does come and does care for him and even spends money on him and says to the innkeeper, I'll come back and I'll, 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 I'll give you you even more if it costs more to, to take care of him. And Jesus says to these people, because that last one was a Samaritan, and Jesus says to these people, which one was a neighbor, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan? And the, the Jewish person could not even use the word Samaritan, said the one who showed kindness to him. It is that kind of wrong to praise a Samaritan. And so one of the one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, was not, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no, one found to, was no one found to return and give thanks to God except this foreigner? You see this? Who should it be? But who was it? There's so much going on right here. It's unthinkable. I, I found it curious. We were talking with the pastors praying before the services today. And I asked Andrew, I knew what he was preaching on in Mosaic, but I, hey, Andrew, what are you saying today? He goes, you mean in the sermon? I'm like, no. 3.30 this afternoon. He goes, um, and I, I, actually, I use this thing, but um, the gift and the giver. And I'll get to back to that in a minute because it was really way better than the little wordplay I had. I said, I find it curious that the nine who are kind of chastised, they're chastised for doing exactly what Jesus told them. You know, he said, go see yourself. It's not like they disobeyed. They didn't go, oh, I'm going home. They, it's, for all we know, they headed off to go show themselves to the priest. That's exactly what they're supposed to do. But one comes back and throws himself at Jesus' feet. He's a Samaritan, but he throws himself at Jesus' feet and he praises God in a loud voice. Here's the thing we're gonna miss. Every seminary student should get this right away. But here's the thing we're gonna miss. There are three offices theologically that Jesus holds. Yes, he's Emmanuel, God with us. He's the only begotten son of God, God in a bot. We got it. The incarnation, he's, he's all those things. He's savior, he's Lord. But there are three offices that tie him to the Old Testament. Prophet, priest, and king. He is the true prophet. He speaks God's words to us. Whatever God wants us to hear, that's what Jesus tells us. I don't say what I want to say. I say what the father wants to say. He's priest. He's the high priest. He's the one that intermediates between us and God. He's the stand between. And he's king, king of kings, Lord of lords. He is the king over all kings. There is no other. So when he tells them, go show yourself to the, to the priest, one of them does. Nine of them go to a priest. One of them comes to the one who stands between us and the Father. The one, the only one that can make us right with everybody, or we, we, everybody right with God. Only one. So they all did what they were told, but one got it right. And what's different between that man and the other nine? 
According to Pastor Andrew, and I think he nailed it, I love the verbiage, they were more pleased with the gift than the giver. They're, they were, and I don't know how it worked. If you're walking along and it's like, hey, my finger just grew back. My nose itches. Oh my God. And you run back and you fall at the feet and you thank him. And the others are walking along going, oh man, I'm going to be able to work the crops again. And I can, I can carry my staff and take care of my sheep again. My feet, they hurt. Praise God. I don't know how it worked, but they went off and they did all the stuff that they're supposed to do. The religious structure says they have to do it this way. But one got it right. What changed? What's different? They all got their bodies healed. Jesus does things very differently with several people in the New Testament. For example, the woman with the issue of blood. Remember when Jesus is walking through these narrow, crowded streets and all the people are pushing along uh, into him and, and he, goes, he stops and he goes, who touched me? Well, everyone. It's crowded. He goes, no, I felt power, leave me. And there's this woman who's been bleeding internally for years. She's used up all her resources. She's unclean. And as she's crawling through the crowd, she's, un she's making everyone she comes in contact with unclean. And she's a pariah. And Jesus stands her up. Your faith has made you well. And he restores not only her body, but he restores her to community. He does that over and over and over again. There's one time when they bring him a blind guy and Jesus takes him aside away from everybody else. And, I, I, and he takes him outside and he spits on his eye. This isn't the one he makes a little mud. He spits on him. He says, you see anything? Well, yeah, I see people, but they kind of look like trees walking around. And so he touched them again. But that's in private. He took him aside. But most of the time, Jesus is in personal contact with someone. Yeah, there's the centurion's daughter who says, look, I understand authority. If you say he's going to be healed, or she'll, she'll be healed, she'll be healed, or my servant, his service daughter. That's from afar. But this time, there's people walking over, and he yells to them, go show yourself to the priest. He's not in contact with them. He's never in contact with any of them until one of them, everything is changed for. They all got healed. One of them's life is transformed. They all got a gift. One of them got saved. Because he says your faith has made you well. And that's not just your leprosy being gone. That has made you well. Everything. So what matters? Only everything. And of course, if, G, if you had Hansen's disease and God spoke from afar and said, Hey, go show yourself to the priest. And then all of a sudden your fingers grow back. You're going to run and say, thank you. Of course, but there are other areas in our lives where maybe we won't. Where we're more consumed with the gift than the giver. With creation instead of the creator. Here's an example. And I'm gonna, this one's pretty safe because I haven't heard any complaints. But it's a touchy one for people. Music. Worship. You ever shown up to worship? And you're like, man, there's this song that's been running through my head. And then you get completely the opposite types. Like you're coming and you're like, I want, I want those contemplative songs, those that make me really want to think. And, and I've been hurting and I just want, I want to, I want to, I want to be able to just kind of cry out to God and you get, sing your praise to the Lord. Come on, everybody. And there's times, aren't there? Sorry, if you're an Amy Grant fan, I'm sorry. That just, and it, Rich Mullins wrote it. He's one of my favorite composers on the planet. But that one, oh. I had a friend, Andre, uh, Andre Daly, uh, he was a church planter when I was planting Watershed, and he invited me on a day off to come and worship at his church plant. It was in, uh, he called it Center Point with an E. Um, it was in uh, kind of over by the malls in Grand Rapids, the far side, Woodland, Eastbrook area. 
And I walked in and he was talking about this new worship style and it was ska. Have you ever heard of ska? Do you like it? Okay, good, because neither do I. It was awful. I'm like, this can't be, God can't be going, bring it. I was, oh my goodness. But you know what? I got convicted. Seriously, because worship is a gift. And it's a gift of God. It's a countercultural gift where every time you wake up on a Sunday morning and you argue with and gather your family and you bring them here, as frustrated as you are in the car and you walk in like, I get it. And I've seen it. Um, that kid that almost got hit by a car in a parking lot and dad was like, oh. um, just kidding. Totally kidding. We needed a break because I got a little intense. <laughs> One of your dads is going, I wasn't kidding. <laughs> Every time you decide, to, when the God's people are gathering for worship and you show up, it's a countercultural, defiant act. Because you are communicating, whether anyone watching you or not, you are communicating to the world, the seen world, and the unseen world around you, that I am not my own. I belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm going to go thank him as the giver of all good things. I'm gonna fall at his feet and proclaim in a loud voice. Thank you. As long as the music is what I want. Has it ever occurred that if there's a day when you're getting the music that you can't stand, or the sermon, you're getting a pokey one instead of a happy, happy, joy, joy, has it ever occurred to you that the music that was picked by God through Kurt or whoever that week, that someone else is weeping out of joy because God knew that song is what they needed today? And you might be over there going, that's 23 years old. It's not about the gift. It's about the giver. And if it's not worship, I worship very differently than all of you. I'm, I'm wired, I'm weird. Number one, I sit and I don't stand because I have an ankle that has screws in it. If I stand still, because you're really not allowed to do anything in reform worship. Um, if I stand still, my ankle will lock up and I will chip my teeth tripping to come up here. So I, I sit and it hurts, but, but if I keep moving, I'm okay. But I, I worship by lyrics. It's one of the things, ways I fell in love with Lynn She's a phenomenal lyricist. What she can say in three minutes and 25 seconds, I can't say clearly in 35. What people are able to come up with and conceive theologically, doctrinally, and actually move my heart with ideas blows me away. I don't, not the melody, the words. That's why it's always important to me that the words have meat to them. But that's me. And if I show up at a church and it's all Jesus crispy, surfacey stuff, I can still worship God because God is still the giver of all good gifts. And we worship every week, but we're we gather to worship every week, but we're supposed to worship every day, every moment, do everything as if to the Lord. So let me ask you, are you the nine who's satisfied with the gift or are you the one the foreigner, the wrong kind of person. Are you the one who worships the giver? What about your money? What about your house? What about your children? 
do you often cry out, Lord, why? Or if you have a wayward child or grandchild, you're kind of like, oh my, can you believe their parents did not raise, oh, I am their parents, oh my goodness. (laughs) Or do you look for an opportunity to thank God for the gift that they've been to you and Lord, asking the Lord, how can I minister to that person? How can I love that person so that they know how much you love them? Is it about what you get from it? Or is it about the one who gives it? And I'm not talking about if you get pain, you can't ask why. If you get cancer, you can't, you can't cry out why. But, but the giver of life is not the one who gives you cancer. But there's some beauty in being able to be grateful in the midst of tragedy because you have the faith and the hope that you will get through it. In this world, there will be trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Who's the one that's overcome the world? The one who can say, go and show yourself to the priest and have you cleansed. What needs to change? Only everything. So I know it's cliche, but we need an attitude of gratitude. I'm going to go one step further, and I'm going to say that many of us, myself included, Poor little guy. Be okay. Need an altitude adjustment. Not an attitude adjustment, an altitude adjustment. Because we look up and we go like, when we should be like the one, the Samaritan, the wrong guy, the foreigner, the dirty one, the one who was just a leprous and now falls at the feet of Jesus and just says thank you over and over and over and over again. (sighs) Which spirit do you think the Lord wants? You shouldn't feel guilty. You should feel the exhortation because just as with his meeting opposition, Jesus does a miracle. He also challenges those who think they have it figured out by saying, see who came back and praised God? the one you never would think would. And who are the others? Which one are you? Are you one like everybody else, one of the nine? Or are you the one that appreciates the giver more than the gift? If you're one who appreciates the giver more more than the gift, you know what you've just become? A gift from God to others. As long as you're worried about getting the gift, you won't be one. But if you love the giver more than the gift, you become a gift that he offers to others by being like-minded, by being like him. Rejoice in the Lord always, says Paul. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the man healed of leprosy in Mark 1 who had the guts and the desperation to fall at your feet. Thank you that you loved him where he was and then healed him. Lord, I ask for anyone here who's struggling, who's hurting, who doesn't really know that you give them hope, that you love them just like they are, and then transform them. And Lord, I pray for all of us who are one of those nine that we love the good things that you entrust to us, but then we grow accustomed to our blessings. 
and we forget the giver. Remind us to come and fall on, fall on our knees before you and in a loud voice worship you, thanking you, the giver of all good things. We pray these things in Jesus' name through the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives within us for the glory of God our Father. Amen. One last thing to leave you with, just for a thought, has nothing really to do with the message. But have you ever had a great idea? I mean, you wake up in the middle of the night, you're like, oh, I don't want to forget that. You ever had a great idea? You know that you are God's great idea. So you are who he wanted you to be. And he thinks about and, and, and works that idea out and he sees it come to fruition. You are God's idea. If that doesn't be, if that doesn't make, give me a sense of gratitude to God, the one who conceived me, he's the giver. Let's worship the giver. The Lord bless you, and he has. Keep you, make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. So look on God's face. God give you his face, smile at you, and give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with it, and the peace of Christ, and world vision right over here.